Welcome to the Planning for the Certainty of Uncertainty podcast with Jonathan Cutton, Private Wealth Advisor, 2019 Barron's Hall of Fame Advisor, awarded to advisors who have for 10 years been on one or more of Barron's top 100 financial advisor lists, 2023 Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisor and CEO of Cutton Wealth Management, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC. This podcast offers a broad range of financial planning concepts to help you and your loved ones live brilliantly now and into the future. Jonathan will provide you with concepts that bring you confidence, simplicity, and success on your journey to financial and retirement security. Join us as we explore ways to help you feel more assured, connected, and in control of your financial life. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another Planning for the Certainty of Uncertainty podcast. I'm your host, Matt Haller, and John Cutton and Aaron Shankman are here for part two, the common financial myths and misconceptions. Now, we did talk about some pretty cool ones at the top uh, or at the beginning of this. And if you haven't listened to part one yet, please make sure you go back because there's lots of great information, not just for you as a client, but also for your family so they can make better financial decisions. But we're going to jump into part two. Ready? Here we go. I don't need to worry about money if someone else manages it or my partner handles it. All right, Uh, John, I'm going to throw this one to you. Ooh, thank you, Matt. Am I allowed to tell the listeners that you asked me before we started today to keep my answers shorter? Can I share that? (laughs) Yeah, we'll see if that works, dude. We'll see (laughs) how that goes. There's no editing of that, by the way, Matt. I want that to be stated. So I am going to be short uh, as as humanly possible for sure. So Uh, I don't need to worry about money if someone else manages it or my partner handles it. My life would be easier, Matt, because we'd never have to explain anything again. But I don't really believe that that is what a client or consumer uh, should do. I'm a big believer that knowledge is power. And while you don't need to go, we've got this saying, right? You could either go an inch wide and a mile deep, or you can go an inch deep and a mile wide. I think it's okay to just go an inch deep and a mile wide. You don't need to become a financial advisor or know everything about every investment, but you should understand risk, reward, fees, tax consequences, the big picture things and how the style of how that person is managing money for you, et cetera. What I would also just share, Matt, to keep it shorter, is I'm going to tee Aaron up to talk about a little bit. I kind of tried to handle it from a financial advisor perspective. Aaron, maybe you can talk a little bit about how that would relate to a significant other or a spouse, et cetera. Here we go again, John, with telepathy. You were like reading my mind as I was going to say something. Yesterday, an advisor was telling me about a client that they have and helping them with all their financial planning needs and never, ever once mentioned the spouse. And I said, well, tell me about the spouse. And he said, well, I never met the spouse and I've been working with this client for 10 years. I said, what what happens to your, you know, if something happens to your primary client, what happens if their health changes or, you know, they pass away or something like that? What's the survivor going to do? Isn't it your role as an advisor to make sure that the surviving spouse or the other side of the relationship knows who you are. And exactly like John said, 
you don't need to be an expert in this stuff, but you have to have some awareness and some knowledge and know who the advisor is in the event that the primary contact in the advisor to client relationship, you know, is disabled in some way, shape or form. So it's very important that we know both parties, if there are two parties involved when we're handling somebody's financial matters, because they're, they may need to rely on us someday. Matt, I've got to add something. I'm sorry, please don't be mad at me, but I've got to. I think it's good for our listeners to hear this. Usually one of the two spouses is more interested in this stuff and someone's the financial person and someone's not. And try as we may, that that non-financial person doesn't always choose to be as involved as we think they should. And it is usually very, very, very difficult when they ultimately lose their significant other and now all of a sudden need to learn all of this without the interest, without the experience and without the partnership between me or Aaron as the advisor, the significant significant other who passed, understanding the methodology that we've created together really goes a long way. So I, I, I really think that that's an important one because if and when, not, not when, right? Not if, when someone passes, al- passes away, they have enough to deal with than to now have to get entrenched in all of this financial planning stuff and being part of the process from the beginning, uh, I think is really, really important. All right. I don't need an emergency fund. I'll just sell my investments. Aaron, not not the best strategy for effective money management. We generally will recommend that someone keep liquid assets. Liquid assets are kind of like we talked about in part one, where you have readily easy access and portability to free cash equal to three, six, or even up to 12 months of someone's what we call committed expenses. That's what we call prudent financial planning, making sure that there's always money there for what we call emergencies. And what's not really part of this is opportunities, right? So you want to always be able to capitalize on opportunities in the event of an emergency, but selling investments to do it, probably not the best strategy because it may not be the right time to sell those investments Investments aren't designed for that. They're gener- depends on the type of investment, but they're generally designed as a longer term vehicle to meeting other goal oriented financial planning needs. Yeah, well, well said. I'll be short and sweet on this one. I think you you hit it all, Aaron. I think you've got timing issues, right, and then you've got potential tax issues as well. So, be, being in a position that you don't have an emergency fund. Um, is how many Americans also build credit card debt, right? It's how folks rely on the credit card because they don't have the cash in the bank or they don't have that six months of expenses, committed expenses or more set away as liquidity. So, you know, the boiler goes and there's no cash and it's not the right time to maybe sell an investment. So we go to the credit card 
And we all know those interest rates on credit cards can be, you know, very, very difficult to pay down and certainly, you know, very expensive to make those payments with the level of interest rates that are out there on credit cards. Now, with with that, let's talk about credit cards because I'm gonna. This is gonna be a two parter here. The first one is that all debt is bad, uh, and again, I'm gonna apply that to credit. But the second one is having a credit balance will boost your credit score. All right, John, I think you're uh, you're up first on this one. Okay, I'll take the first part, which uh, is around all debt is bad. I I think debt in many cases is healthy as long as it's the right kind of debt. And it's ultimately priced right, you know, from an interest rate perspective. So as an example, if you think about debt as it relates to buying a home, you know, if when interest rates are reasonable, having debt like a mortgage is a great way to build wealth over time, right? We probably, most Americans, uh, if the average price of a home is $350,000 nationally, depending on where you live, most Americans don't have the ability to just write a check for $350,000 and own a home outright. The government gives us some benefit where in many cases, not all cases, but interest rates that you pay on a mortgage are therefore tax deductible. So because a mortgage, as an example, is secured by a home, generally you get a reasonable interest rate relative to current uh, you know, rate environment. So if you can borrow on an asset that you can pay a reasonable interest rate, get tax deductibility and pay that down over a 15 or 30 or even longer period of time. As we talked about in our last episode, for many Americans, their home winds up being their biggest, if not one of their largest assets. So that would be an example, Matt, um, of good, healthy debt. And I'll just also throw in there one of the things that we do a lot for clients is we actually use their investment portfolio as collateral. So I'll, I'll kind of pause there and pass it over. Give the hard part to you, Aaron, as I always try to do. Thanks, John. I would just add that the uh, one of the, the backbones to the American economy is debt and the ability for companies and individuals to borrow. But you covered it all in your answer. Now, we talked in the, the previous episode about, I don't need to save for retirement. It's too far away. Now, we're going to flip that. And another financial myth and misconception is it's too late to save. All right. which Rock, paper, scissors. Who, who's going to go? Ooh, yeah, John's up. Video. All right, John. Paper, right, scissors. John. And shoot. Um, <laughs> so, too late to save. That was the question. Correct, Matt? I was yes. too busy playing uh, rock, paper, scissors. It's never too late, <laughs> right? You can always make things a little bit better. Um, I will share, there. there's really three levers as you think about saving for retirement that you can pull, okay? Um, and they all will contribute to a successful retirement. And you know, there's a saying we talk about inside of the business, uh, inside of the practice, and it's, ultimately having simplicity on the far side of complexity, right? So retirement planning, Matt, is complex. I've been doing it for almost 30 years. Aaron's been doing it for almost 30 years. And when you've been doing it as long as we have, you can take what seems really complicated 
and make it really simple. So here is my best at making it profoundly simple. Three things you can do. One, you can save more money to retire. Two, you can attempt to get a better rate of return. Three, you could either work longer and or reduce your expenses. I made it four, so it's not three, it's four. Usually three, but it came out as four, okay? So you, you those are the levers that you could pull, right? So if you haven't saved enough for retirement up to this point, it might be too late to make up all of the Delta. If you're 57 years old and you'd like to retire at 60 and you've never saved a penny for retirement, well, you probably need to work a little longer. You might need to save for a little bit and you might need to actually think about reducing your expenses so that you can actually retire someday, right? Maybe you need some part-time employment income. So there's always a way to stack the odds in your favor or improve the situation, but it's never too late to actually start saving. It'll be additive to make what might not be a rosy situation at least a little bit better. Try to top that one. Rosy it up, Aaron. What do you got? I can't rosy that up. That answer was so comprehensive and articulate in nature. I have very little to add. All right. We call it we call that a mic drop, Matt, in podcast. Ah, is that that what I I, see? I didn't hear it actually fall, uh, but that's great. Okay, so so now now this this is one that I think is personally utterly fascinating. And if anybody's listened to this show before and we've talked about, you know, financial planning and we've talked about, you know, uh, market and we talk about behavioral finance. This one the stock market is too risky. I can't tell you guys how often I hear that in polite conversation with, you know, neighbors and whatever. How how do you address that financial myth and massive misconception about the market itself? I think Aaron, you're first this time. The market is risky, but risk is quantifiable over different categories. So, If someone believes they're going to be utilizing the stock market to make quick returns and capitalize on immediate opportunities, the vast majority of their time, studies have proven, uh, they will be incorrect. In fact, we use an asset allocation model, which is part of modern portfolio theory. And that model suggests that 91% of the time, your return will be dictated by where your assets are invested. And 9% of the time, the outcome of your portfolio will be determined by when you buy and what you buy in terms of investments. And that to me speaks to this, this topic of the market being too risky. It is too risky if you're in it for the wrong reasons or misunderstood reasons the stock market as itself, the equity market, as we call it, is based on factors of supply and demand. So at supply and demand is, as we know, if you look at any stock market chart over the last 100 years, is an ever-changing dynamic process. So if it's ever-changing and dynamic over time, it's proven to be 
very reliable, but in short bursts of time, it can be very unreliable and lead to a lot of risk. And when people think about risk, they think about losses. So that's that's how I would identify uh, the stock market being too risky. Yeah, we've, we've got uh, two-way mental telepathy going on right now. So love everything that you shared, Aaron. And, you know, it, it uh, it's not lost on me how having a system and a process, when Aaron talks about modern portfolio theory and 91.9 rule, et cetera, very much ingrained in just how we do things, right, inside of the organization. So there's a lot of consistency which makes my heart warm to kind of hear how aligned we are on those things. The only thing I cheer to it is um, I, I completely agree. There's risk in every investment and historically, right? The stock market is a volatile asset class over short periods of time. The longer the time frame historically doesn't guarantee anything, um, but the, the better you stack the odds in your favor to get a better right outcome over the long term and the only thing i would add is sometimes a big part of our job is helping educate right and ultimately put a purpose behind different buckets of money for clients so that they understand the time frame attached to the investment so as a as as a financial advisor i believe part of our job is to be a leader so if a client comes in or a prospective client with the feeling that the stock market is too risky, it's up to us to help understand their overall situation and ensure that we're stacking the odds in their favor to be successful. And so sequence of return, right, which is when you get the rate of return, can sometimes be managed a little bit better and help clients get that courage to have some exposure, which historically will will help or has helped ultimately impact things like inflation, uh, which is what gets people to, to retire, Matt, right? If you can't outpace inflation, you need to save a bunch of money in order to maintain your lifestyle, which some have been able to do in their lifetime, but many still need to get an attractive rate of return. And that's what I think we do as financial advisors really well is help stack the odds in our clients' favor and give them the courage through understanding the tools and leadership to be able to get them to a point that they are able to build diversified portfolios to stack the odds. 17 times I said stack the odds in their favor, by the way, to reach their financial goals. Yeah, I'm going to start uh, whistling the Hunger Games uh, sound effect from, from the movie if you do that one more time. Uh, could, but you, Could you whistle it real quick? Could you whistle it? Would you mind? I, no, I'm not going to do that uh, unless you say it again, and then I will. But anyway, so here's the deal. It's in pot. Here's the last one. And, and again, let's talk about the, this. You just set the stage with inflation, right? So if inflation goes crazy, I don't have any idea how much I'm going to need for retirement. No Nobody can know how much they need in retirement. Go ahead and uh, let you jump on that. I think uh, who, who's first this time? It's Since actually I, John. Oh, oh my God! Oh, is John. it really? Okay. Wow. All right, John, you're up. I feel like I feel like I should just stack the odds in a client's <laughs> oh, favor, Matt. Oh no! And I need to remember the whistle. I thought you were going to give me more time, <laughs> dude. Uh, give me, give me a second, and I'll, I'll do it. Wait, it's. Yeah, no, I, it's going to take me a second to find. It. I'm going to oh. put myself on mute, and I'm going to find it, dude. It didn't right. mean didn't mean to stump you there, but that's okay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So listen, in, inflation is the enemy in retirement, right? And we're we're living through an inflationary period right now. And it is hard to know exactly how much you will need to retire because we, we can't predict the future of what your rate of return will be on your assets, on what inflation will be, on what your medical expenses will be, so on, et cetera. So the best that we could do is we could plot a plan with the variables that we know today. We can think about history and build in some conservative assumptions that really give us what we believe the future can be. But man, Matt, what it's all about at the end of the day, it's relationship, it's consistency of meeting, it's tracking the plan, it's adjusting as those things, right? Ultimately things, again, big, big, uh, important word, things is my word of the day. Um, but that that's what it's about. It's about making sure that we adjust as the world adjusts and our client situation adjusts, but having a, an idea of where things are headed kind of northeasterly, right? But we've got to plot that course on a semi-annual quarterly basis with our clients. All right. First off, before you go, Aaron, I think that's actually copywritten and trademarked. So I'm totally not going to do it to get anybody in trouble. Uh, just Google the the Hunger Games whistle. All right, Aaron, wrap this puppy up with it with with adding anything to what John has to say before we wrap up this two part mini series. I will take us home. the The other thing I would add to that is, along with the uncertainty and lack of predictability around inflation and the uh, the other is with taxes historically we're in a very low tax environment i'm sure most people wouldn't believe that uh but if you look at historical u.s tax rates uh we are in a low environment so theoretically we may be in a higher environment in the future but this is all the value of planning and figuring out what you will need going forward to help plan out and figure out what are your income sources, what are your assets going to grow to, but most importantly, and the real difficult one is what do you spend? What are you going to spend? And like John said, how is that inflation on an annualized basis going to impact that and encumber on your ability to utilize your money in the future? We use something called what we call a mortality algorithm in planning on how much someone will be able to use on their money. It's a percentage based on their age uh, and circumstance. And these are all, quite honestly, the value propositions of putting together a formalized financial plan to figure out what your retirement looks like in the future. Well, I want to thank both of you very, very much for this wonderful two-part miniseries, The Common Financial Myths and Misconceptions. Listen, for those of you who are, uh, are, are stay tuned to the end here, here's the deal. This two-part miniseries is what you should be sharing with everybody you know, because this is the kind of information that you need as a person here living in America on what you need to do to make sure that you overcome these mental hurdles that you have built for yourself and that are unfortunately reinforced within society as a whole. So John, Aaron, I want to thank you very much for being on the show today. Thanks, Matt. It was a blast. A lot of fun. Thank you. And thank you both for your brains. We always appreciate it. And we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to the Planning for the Certainty of Uncertainty podcast with Jonathan Cutton, Private Wealth Advisor, 2019 Barron's Hall of Fame Advisor, 
2023 Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisor. Cut & Wealth Management offers comprehensive financial advice and a broad range of solutions to help you and your loved ones live brilliantly now and in the future. Have questions? Contact us at Cut & Wealth Management at ampf.com or give us a call at 800-455-4595. Don't forget to click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast provides general information, is not intended to provide investment advice, and does not account for individual investor circumstances. Investment decisions should always be made based on an investor's specific circumstances. Neither past performance nor any forecast guarantees future results. Investment products are not insured by the FDIC, NCUA, or any federal agency, are not deposits or obligations of or guaranteed by any financial institution, and involve investment risks, including possible loss of principal and fluctuation in value. Ameriprise Financial does not offer tax or legal advice. Consult your tax advisor or attorney. Ameriprise Financial has not reviewed and does not endorse any other podcast channel or material. Barron's Hall of Fame advisors have been ranked for 10 or more years on one of the following lists. Barron's Top 100 Financial Advisors, Barron's Top 100 Women Financial Advisors, or Barron's Top 100 Independent Financial Advisors. Barron's generates its ranking from a formulaic analysis of surveys answered by candidates regarding assets, revenue, and quality of practice including an advisor's regulatory and compliance record. Barron's is a registered trademark of Dow Jones LP, all rights reserved. This award is not indicative of the advisor's future performance. Neither Ameriprise Financial nor its advisors pay a fee to Barron's in exchange for the ranking. Forbes rankings are developed by Shook Research and are created using an algorithm that includes both qualitative in-person, virtual, and telephone due diligence meetings, client impact, industry experience, review of best practices, and compliance records, and firm nominations, and quantitative assets under management and revenue generated for their firm's data. Certain awards include a demographic component to qualify. Investment performance is not a criterion because client objectives and risk tolerances vary, and advisors rarely have audited performance reports. These rankings are based off the opinions of Shook Research LLC and are not indicative of future performance or representative of any one client's experience and are based on data from the previous two calendar years. Forbes Magazine and Shook do not receive compensation in exchange for placement on the ranking. For more information, www.shookresearch.com. Shook is a registered trademark of Shook Research LLC. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services LLC, a registered investment advisor. Ameriprise Financial Services LLC Member FINRA and SIPC. Ameriprise Financial Advisors may only conduct securities business with residents of states in which the advisor is properly registered. Please refer to FINRA's Broker Check website for a list of those states. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss.